Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. It's your girl, Jacqueline, and I have some news. I know I said at the last uh, episode with our M. Night Shyamalan breakdown that we were not going to have an episode this week, but lo and behold, we actually do have an episode from our very early days with the podcast. This was recorded back in September of 2020, and we actually got to talk about one of my all-time favorite films, Constantine. So because this is one of our very, very first episodes still unpublished, it's going to sound a little different than some of the episodes you guys have been listening to lately, but enjoy. It was a great conversation. Karima is amazing. And again, I'm still mad about this score. So you guys get to break down why I'm mad about it. Have a listen and uh, we'll see you guys next week for our next episode, which again, more changes. We're going to be doing Twilight. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, a podcast from Rotten Tomatoes, because fresher rotten is just the start of the conversation. We're diving deep and settling the score on the fresh movies you hate, the rotten shows you love, and everything in between. I'm Mark Ellis. I'm a stand-up comic and a Rotten Tomatoes correspondent. And I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an editor at Rotten Tomatoes, where I cover independent film and awards. So Jacqueline, I know we're both excited to finally get this out to the world, but I know you're particularly excited about our topic today because each week we're going to do a deep dive into a movie or TV show that you think the critics got wrong. Today's movie, yes, you're welcome, Jacqueline. It's Constantine. (laughs) Thank you very much, Mark. Mark, I think, has known for a good while my love for Constantine and literally how, if you will allow me to put on my hipster hat for a minute, I'm legitimately upset that people didn't get it when I knew it was cool and everybody's coming on the bandwagon now to know that Rotten Tomatoes was wrong about the score and that this is a brilliant film. I'm glad they're all here now, but you're all latecomers and I'm calling you out like people that supported the Packers after Brett Favre. <laughs> See, I don't remember the first time you and I met, but I guarantee at some point during that conversation, you were shouting from the rooftops about Constantine, a movie that I am very new to. So I'm a very late arrival to the Constantine bandwagon. At the time, the critics kind of gave it a meh review, but it is considered a cult favorite amongst fans now, and that's reflected in the tomato meter score and the audience score. Tomato meter says 46%, which is clearly rotten, but the audiences gave it a fresh review with 72% 
overall. So we're going to get into all things Constantine from the comic book adaptation aspect of it. Was it faithful? Did we need it to be faithful to the fact that this could have been the movie that kicked off the Keanu-sans that we're still reveling in today? And we have an amazing guest with us, Kara Mahorn. The Blurred Girl herself is going to be joining us in just a little bit. But before we get into all that stuff, we need to remind you all that this podcast is going to tread on some spoiler territory. So if you've seen Constantine, welcome, sit down, relax. Jacqueline, what exactly is, I know you've been waiting for this question for 15 years, what is Constantine about? It's a masterpiece. <laughs> but the synopsis of the film is that a post-matrix pre-internet boyfriend, Keanu Reeves, stars alongside Rachel Weiss and Shia LaBeouf, and of course, an androgynous, uber-stylish Tilda Swinton. And this detective story comic book movie, Constantine, which was directed, of course, by future Hunger Games director, Francis Lawrence. Based on the Hellraiser comic book series, our hero, John Constantine, is a demon hunter who's put on a case of a suspicious suicide by the victim's detective sister. A demon hunter. That kind of puts a job of podcaster in a perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes, and although this would not fit in the synopsis, let me just go ahead and say that Francis Lawrence also directed Destiny's Child, and so he's a better person for that. Hey, this was his film debut anyway, and Francis Lawrence and Keanu Reeves were at Comic-Con a couple years ago, and they had some thoughts on the movie they made together, and specifically about the Rotten Tomatoes score that it earned. Take a listen. You know, the movie did fairly well, and this was also still a time when people sold DVDs, so I think it did decently. Um, at the time, but it wasn't a knockout success. And it also wasn't really sort of critically acclaimed by any means at the time. I mean, the kind of cool thing for me about this movie is just, you know, in the 15 years since it released, every time I do a movie and I go out and travel the world and do junkets, I am signing Constantine deep DVDs more than any other movie that I've done. I mean, over the years, different countries and people really, really love this movie. Um, and I think that it's it's like found a sort of a new a new life in a weird way. And I mean, I even see articles where people, you know, even like Rotten Tomatoes posted an article about, you know, apologizing to Constantine for, you know, the Rotten Tomato count that it had. It just, and, and I think people have sort of discovered it recently, weirdly. Um, it's, it's always kind of had its kind of cult fan base, which has been great, but I think people have sort of discovered it in a new way. So I think we always loved it more than the studio loved it. I love that so much. We're <laughs> the very first movie we're talking about <laughs> is already getting a lot of heat from the actual director and star. Jacqueline, we also have another person that we're going to be introducing here right now who is going to do a segment for us each week. This is Tim Ryan. He is the curator of reviews at Rotten Tomatoes, and he's got some great thoughts not only on Constantine and what the critics were saying, but on how the tomato meter works. So, Tim, take it away. Hey, Jacqueline and Mark. It's good to be here. Before we get into it, I want to take a minute to explain how the tomato meter works. The tomato meter is a percentage of approved critics who gave a film or TV show a positive review. If a film or TV show is 60% or above, it's considered fresh. If it's 59% or below, it's considered rotten. 
So Constantine is rotten at 46% with 229 reviews. One of the things I remember very vividly about adding reviews for this was uh, a bunch of normally mild-mannered daily newspaper critics just went over the top describing how deeply they disliked this film. So let me read a couple of them really quick just to give you an overall impression of the critical response. This is one of my favorites of all time, actually. (laughs) Bruce Newman of the San Jose Mercury News gave it 0.5 out of 4 stars. And he wrote, Keanu Reeves brings a gravity to John Constantine that makes Neo, his cheerless character in the Matrix series, now appear to be the height of the actor's madcap Jerry Lewis period. Hey, Hades! Later on in the review, he ended a paragraph by just saying, Hell's a poppin'! (laughs) And Leah McLaren of the Toronto Globe and Mail wrote, You can just picture the meeting. A few guys in Prada suits sit around an L.A. boardroom going, The Matrix means the exorcist. Huh. With Keanu? I like it. No, wait. I love it. You got to remember the context in which this film came out because the Matrix trilogy had ended in 2003 with the Matrix Revolutions. And that was still top of mind for a lot of critics, especially with regard to Keanu Reeves. It's kind of funny to think about now since we're in the midst of a sort of Keanuissance, but back in 2005, he was still considered a very limited actor. And a lot of the criticism came down to the fact that some critics were sort of comparing Keanu films and that this one stacked up rather unfavorably. So to recap, when this movie came out, it got pretty mixed reviews, but it sort of developed this cult following over the years. And I think that the 72% audience score is reflective of that. Ooh, that is some shots fired by the critics (laughs) at Constantine. I am going to make everybody feel a little bit better and align with Jacqueline somewhat because there are some audience reviews I wanted to shed a light on really quick because like we said, the audience review for this movie, Jacqueline, 72%, which is clearly fresh. So Max M completely agrees with you, says this movie is an absolute masterpiece. Sees it from time to time. It's got a great Lucifer depiction, story, characters, role-playing. I don't know what the hell stupid critics are thinking. (laughs) It's Max's quote. Alexander K. says at a 46%, come on, Rotten Tomatoes, this deserves a re-rating, please. So critics and audiences not necessarily aligned with Constantine. It's me. It's Jacqueline. And Jacqueline, our producer extraordinaire, we can't just let her get away with not having the spotlight shut upon her. Mm -hmm. It is Lucy. Lucy, are you there? Are we doing okay so far? I'm here. You're you're doing great, Mark and Jacqueline. I'm I'm (laughs) loving the energy and the passion. Keep it up. (laughs) Hello, Lucy. It's me, Jacqueline. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Jacqueline. This movie's great. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. Yeah, I, I kind of felt time. like I was being steered into a direction by both Lucy and Jacqueline, who had seen this movie prior. This is my first time watching it, was actually to do the podcast this week. But somebody who has been a fan, like Jacqueline, for a long time, is our very special guest. She is a podcast extraordinaire, a creator to the stars. You can follow her, you probably already do on social media, at The Blurred Girl. That's Blurred with an E, girl with a U. It is the one, the only, Karama Horn. Karama. I know that you're on the East Coast. I know you're in Brooklyn. We have a heat wave out here in Los Angeles right now that kind of feels like we're walking through the hellscape in Constantine. Are you cool enough back East? Yeah, I'm I'm fine. But then, you know, I also have air conditioning, unlike yourself. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> sweating through it right now. I, I know that you have a cat too, Houdini. And I'm just yes. wondering, before we get into Constantine and your thoughts on it, do you ever try that trick with Houdini that Keanu Reeves tries with the cat in Constantine? You know, it's really funny. When he was little, I tried it and he almost scratched my face off. So I, I don't, you know, and I have my feet in water and everything. I don't, I don't recommend trying that with a cat that is not ready. <laughs> Maybe he knew what I was trying to do. Maybe he didn't want to go back to hell. Um, right. But because he is my own personal demon. So. <laughs> you, look in, you look into a cat's eyes and you see what Keanu Reeves says in the movie as John Constantine that they're always half in, half out. But Karima, you are not half in and half out in this movie. You love this thing. You think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I do. I, uh, I don't know who those 229 people he was talking about are. Um, and that person that had like a 0.5 rating I'm sorry. They didn't like the Matrix either, either, so they don't count. I'm sorry. Uh, but here's the thing. I think a lot of people didn't like this movie because they were trying, they were looking for a comic book movie. And that's, that's not fair to the movie. Um, if we were talking about a great adaptation, Keanu Reeves is not the character that was originally um, thought about when it came to this comic. Hellraiser and the Constantine and Hellraiser was designed after Sting. So if you were looking for the look, it should have been, you know, that. But that's not my feeling on this. I, I don't feel like you should be looking for Sting in this movie. You should be looking at what you see on the screen. And for me, when I saw this movie, first of all, go back. It was 2005. So <laughs> let's go back to then. When I first saw this film, it came out in February of 2005. And what I remember seeing uh, and thinking about, first of all, I was with my ex, so this is not a very good memory. But <laughs> <laughs> I do remember, uh, and we were dating at the time, and it was February, which I thought was a very weird time for releasing this movie because I thought this would be a summer movie. So anyway, I remember arguing because I think Hitch was out at the same time. And I was like, okay, he thought I wanted to see Hitch, but I'm allergic to rom-coms. Like they're, uh, they're against my religion. So <laughs> I was not interested in seeing Hitch. I wanted to see the movie with the demons. Um, I knew from the trailers it wasn't going to look like the comic book, but I was interested in seeing this version. I also was really excited to see what I felt was a new, new director. I didn't know anything about Francis Lawrence. I didn't know about the Beyonce part. Jacqueline just schooled me on that. Um, <laughs> but I did know that it was originally supposed to be directed by Tarseem Singh, who was a director, uh, commercial director. And at the time I was working as a commercial editor. So I was fascinated to see what this commercial editor was going to do with it. When it turned out that it wasn't going to be him because Tarseem ran off to do the cell. I said, okay, let's check this out. Now for me, my first impression, I was blown away. Saw it in the theaters. I know, it's been a long time, folks. Think back to what it was like to see a movie in a theater. But I loved it. And I loved the effects. That was very clear that they told Lawrence, shoot this like with a lot of those high-end angles like The Matrix. Because that's what they, that was the audience that they were going for. But if you take The Matrix out of it and take the comics out of it and look at this, this movie as a standalone movie, you can't say that it is not gorgeous and that the characters don't basically pull their weight in terms of telling this very simple story and pushing it along. My favorite scene, 
Lucifer. And it's the funny thing is the Lucifer scene with Peter Stormare is he drops down with those drippy, gooey, oily feet um, is a lot of people's favorites. And Lucifer was also in the comics. He didn't look anything like him either, but nobody complains about that scene. So I think that there are certain critics that just literally didn't like comic book movies and didn't like Keanu Reeves that might not have gotten it. That is why the movie itself has been considered such a cult favorite. And we'll get into all more of the details, but definitely the Lucifer scene was my favorite and definitely seeing it that night in February in 2005 bring back some amazing memories. But I watch it anytime it comes on. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, and it, it seems like that's going to get a lot more love from you than Hitch, even though had I been the boyfriend in that situation, Jacqueline, I think I got to suggest Hitch first. I mean, I, I can't just throw you into Constantine. I got to give you the option of Hitch. Jacqueline, when you saw this movie, did you take the Hitch option first or did you go right into Constantine? Um, actually, I had to go think back, which I appreciate so much for this show because it makes me get nostalgic about my recent history. But I was actually living at home when this movie came out, and I did see it at the theater because, fun fact, I actually graduated from college and then wouldn't come home to actually do my graduation ceremony. My mother was like, you need to walk so we can have a party. And I was like, well, I'm in France, so I'm not leaving. So I actually <laughs> didn't come back until the day before a summer graduation. And I had to stay with my parents for like five months after that before I got a job in Austin. And I remember I was going to see every movie possible. And this was definitely one. I was like, let me just get out of the house <laughs> for like five minutes so that I can please, please, please ha not be stuck in my mother's house um, in my early 20s. And so, yeah, I saw it at the theater. I loved it. I honestly was a big fan of Keanu in general. And I just thought it was so fun. And I did know that this was going to be by the guy that directed, you know, Aerosmith, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. I was like really big on music directors because Hype Williams had done Belly. So I was signed up for him specifically and also for some Shia and also for some Keanu. And I still to this day, I remember, I think, 10 minutes after I met the folks at Rotten Tomatoes, I was started bitching about Constantine and like just incredulous. Like it was their fault. <laughs> and I have since like as and now as a, an employee for a few years, I realized just how annoying that is. That's like people coming up to Ethan Hawke being like, oh, captain, my captain, like let it go. 
let it go. Oh, you're not supposed to do that to e- Okay, well, I, I, Ethan, I apologize if you're listening. I, I was excited when I met you. Look, I am going to make y'all happy and then disappoint both of y'all at the same time because I am very new to this movie. I literally watched it three nights ago for the very first time. I remember it coming out. I was like paying attention to the box office report and seeing it did okay. But watching this with fresh eyes, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I love Keanu in the role. I have no regard for how it is a comic book adaptation because I never followed the comics at all. But just being so such a baby in this world, I love seeing, whether it's an action flick like Raiders of the Lost Ark, which gets a little religious, or you get something that is super serious, like a horror movie, as in The Exorcist, taking that Catholic mythology and really driving it psychologically home. I get interested in that kind of stuff. And the way that this deals with the afterlife and where we're going, angels versus demons, I thought all that stuff was fascinating. I did not think it was a great movie, but I think that I can increase insofar as that it deserves to have a fresh rating. Is it as good as Hitch? I don't know. It's definitely not the Aerosmith of movies, but when we talk about this, Karima, you bring up such a great point because I know you're a fan of the comic book lore as well. So I think the question that we still as fans wrestle with today is, does a movie that is based on a comic book need to be faithful to the comic book or is it allowed to spread its wings and be its own entity? I, I think if anything that the MCU, uh, the MCU Sony fight has taught us has, is that if you put enough Easter eggs in from the comics, you can basically get those comic book fans in the seats. But as in the case of Venom, if you tell a good enough story, you might just get brand new fans who don't know anything about the comics who really, really love your movie and make you know a lot of money. I also think uh, one of the other reasons I think that I also wanted to bring up February that it, it, that just I thought was such a strange time to drop this type of movie. But what I think the directors were trying to do is The Dark Knight came out that year and they were like, we're not going up against that. Um, it was Batman Begins, yeah. It I'm was, sorry, it Batman was, Begins, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I mean, the saga. So, yeah, right. Yeah, so the Dark Knight saga started. So I don't, I don't think they wanted to go up against that. Um, Eon Flux also happened that year. I don't, I don't think that would have had any bearing on that. It was, it so- was a big comic book year, camera. I mean, it was Batman Begins, Constantine, Elektra, Fantastic Four, Sin City, and V for Vendetta. Now, the last two people don't know are comic book movies, but like, yeah. if there was a year for comic book fatigue... Let's talk about it, that. Would, yes, exactly. That would be it. So I think they felt, let's get our stuff in and out early. And I think they were just a little too early because I think Constantine would have done really well a little bit later in the year if they released it um, that way. But getting back to your comic book question, that's always going to be a debate. And what I've learned, what Wolverine has taught us all is that we sometimes can take Wolverine and Watchmen at this point. We can sometimes take the a story and a set of characters that people really love and create almost fan fiction, meaning an amazing story well-written in the world and the universe of the comics and or the TV show and the movie. But if it's written really well, it will, it will work. And also, I mean, we can't forget the casting here either. Well, there's a lot of talk of Keanu, but 
you know, Tilda, Sw- Tilda Swinton, uh, Peter Stormare, hello, Rachel Weiss, Gavin Rossdale. I was a closet Bush fan, so I really was here to see some Gavin, even though <laughs> I don't think he was that great in the movie. I just wanted to see his face. Um, so I think this, it was really turned into a lot of uh, ensemble work. Also, a lot of people don't talk about this, but the Matrix trilogy wasn't amazing because of Keanu Reeves. It was amazing because of the cin- the cinematography, because there were s- certain things that we hadn't seen before, because of the soundtrack, because of the Prada. Like <laughs> that is that is why that movie was. It was the whole thing did not stand on Keanu Reeves' shoulders. It was really an un- ensemble thing because you can't look at this and not think of Lawrence Fishburne either, or you know Carrie Ann Moss. So I personally think that although it was based on a comic book, this movie was not going to go up for a best adaptation. They were trying to start, I think, a franchise. Unfortunately, at that time, I don't think Keanu really wanted to do another franchise. But I think that's what they were going for. Right. I, and I think that when you, when you see the movie in the context of now Batman Begins coming out later that year, as Karen mentioned, and all these flicks that arguably had more of a presence at your local comic book shop than Constantine did. Because I don't even remember Constantine being marketed necessarily as, hey, you love the comic, now come watch the movie. It was just this cool-looking, religious-angle, horror-thriller sci-fi piece starring Keanu Reeves. And if people loved The Matrix when it came out, I think that there was Matrix fatigue because of the other two movies in that trilogy. And they just, yeah, they just <laughs> came out two years. The, to, the other Matrix movie had only come out two years prior. And just real quick about the comic book thing, you also have to realize that Hellraiser and all of these comics were part of the DC Vertigo line. And the Vertigo line was more an adult line. They didn't push it like they pushed the kids' comics. They weren't pushing them like they pushed Batman or Wonder Woman because they were supposed to be more adult-themed. So that, that is another reason why they probably, marketing-wise, they probably didn't want to go that direction. Um, but yeah, I think no one else wanted to see another bullet time. Like if they bullet timed their way through hell, we would have been done. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this, this very easily could have turned into like just another movie that felt way too much like what we were about to get with Resident Evil. <laughs> but, oh my God. Um, I mean, look, for me, one of the things that really brought me to this movie, Jacqueline, early on was a scene where we meet John Constantine. We have that cool, almost Michael bay shot with a cigarette dropping out of the taxi cab. And then we see him perform this exorcism. And that got me into this movie and the role of Constantine because this dude has to see this kind of crap all the time. Uh, we just go about our day. We drive around. We see trees. We see the sandwich we're eating. This guy has to look at demons. And so what kind of a tortured soul does that make someone who is aware of this bigger world, this alternate hellscape, what could be heaven, trying to get into there? All the meanwhile, he's trying to not die until he can get a guaranteed retirement unquote. And so that was the scene that really brought it home for me, what we're getting into. And I thought it did a great job of locking us into the adventure and the horror element and the character that Keanu Reeves was playing. Was there a scene for you, Jacqueline, that you're really like, oh, this is this is what makes this movie special? I mean, again, when you love something as much as I truly, honestly love this movie, it is difficult to pick the one thing. But I was going to say, this is hard. It is really, really hard. But I will say that Tilda Swinton is one of my favorite parts of the movie. And there are so many things. But like 
everything she is doing. She is giving me Bowie. She is giving me androgyny. She is giving me fashion. She is giving me, I just, you are put upon a little Devil Wears Prada and everything. Everything that she is doing, I love it so much. So I would actually say her introduction, like when you walk into the church um, and, you know, Constantine is going to talk to her and he's just like, you know, figure it out. Gabriel, save me because Tilda Swinton plays the angel Gabriel who's one of the influence peddlers on earth, you know, God and the devil made an agreement. One side is good. One side is evil. No direct contact, but we can influence people. And so she's one of the good influencers as an angel, Gabriel. But like the best line is when she's just like, you're going to, you know, you're going to go to hell because of the life you took because Constantine committed suicide and you're going to die young because you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, I think it was 30. Yeah, 30, yeah, 30, 30 cigarettes a day. And then um, what did she say? You're fucked. <laughs> that's like the best thing. I'm sorry. Like that's the whole, that's the whole synopsis of his, of his sort of like uh, moment at that. And I love, um, I just love how she says it. And, and I love that scene so, so much. I think one of the things too about that, it, it, every time he goes to hell, I kind of feel like I was at my old apartment that I lived like right under the 101 here in Hollywood because a lot of that stuff was filmed right near the, the Capitol Records building, which was, I was basically living in that shadow. And so to see the way that hell is revealed, and it took me about halfway through the movie until I thought I saw a very burned down version of the Capitol Records building in hell to say, oh, this is like an alternate. So hell is actually here on earth. And I guess heaven is too, but we don't see it. And we're not going to see it until the afterlife, depending on which place we go. I thought that was such a genius. But I and Caramel, I don't know if that comes from the comic books, but I thought that was such a cool thing to implement in the, in the war. That was something that Francis Lawrence, and I think he said this in a couple of interviews, that he really wanted to make happen. Um, it wasn't, every, it's very, in the comics, he walks in and out of universes so, so quickly and so smoothly. You can't, you don't always know until he's sitting down in a chair, like exactly what's happening. But Francis Lawrence has said that he wanted it to basically be the upside down. There was no upside down then, but he really wanted it to be this alternate reality within the same space. And yes, Tilda Swinton, I agree, Jacqueline, was an amazing character, but a lot of these side characters were awesome. Another comic book character that I'm a huge fan of, Papa Midnight. And he was not just, not only did, first of all, we just need to take a moment and talk about how Jamon Hunsu is the hardest working black man in comic book movies because he's in all of them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He's in every single movie. Like you guys should do an episode about that. (laughs) He's in every single movie you've probably seen. Um, Both Marvel, DC, and indie. Um, I th- he's even ha- How to Train Your Dragon. Like, he's in everything. He was also Black Panther. He voiced yep. it. Anyway. He, yeah, he did he voice it. Black Panther. Absolutely. So he was, the, he was the first Black Panther, actually. So, yeah, I think him, as well as the whole concept of angels and demons can only influence, but half-breeds, people who are half-human and half-angel, half-human and half-demon, like Balthazar and like a few other characters have the ability to directly influence. They're not supposed to, but they do, which is what, what we're starting to see from that very first scene with that mirror. He's like, a soldier demon should not be able to do this. Um, and that is some of the interesting things you see also, um, Mark, in that first scene. 
the first time we see Constantine in this movie, it's in the middle of his story. A lot of people wanted to see, oh, well, we don't get that he's from a family of people who do this. That was in the comics. Oh, we don't get to see the fact that he has fought with this person and that person. Gabriel is actually supposed to be a Menadel. Nobody who is watching this movie that doesn't really know that lore, you, you don't care. You're just looking at the performances that are on the screen, which is why I think it's so amazing. Also, baby Shia, can we just... 12-year-old looking shy. Honestly, <laughs> wait a minute. I think his best role before Honey Boy, fight me. I don't care. Like, that's what I think. No, this I, is an amazing role. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. They, I was just going he, He's got some funny stuff in there, too. Just yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Because even in a movie that is intentionally dreary and might bog you down a little bit, it's nice to have somebody make you chuckle occasionally. And, and Shia does that very well. Yeah. I was just going to add to Karima what you were saying. I think there's a quote from the screenwriter of this where it's like, he doesn't have the jacket, he's not English, and he doesn't have blonde hair, but he's Constantine. And I think like it was just like they gave the vibe. And that is like so important. Also, to your point, Mark, uh, Keanu actually put in his contract that it had to be LA for him to do the movie. Like he literally was like, I'm not doing this movie unless it's shot in LA, which I think is like such a baller move, which you can only do after you've done the matrix. And I think it kind of says to the fact that like, he's going to do this, but they're going to make it as easy as possible because I think they went hard after him. In fact, I know that they did. Yeah. And, and this is maybe my hottest take about this movie is that I'm not going to say that this was the film responsible for the Keanu Sons that we have now with the John Wick movies. But I think Keanu's really good in this movie. I still do not know if he was always a good actor and he was just playing different roles, if we've watched him progress into becoming a good actor from very humble beginnings, <laughs> Dracula. But this movie, he's great. And in my, am I crazy, Jacqueline? No, he, he knows his lane. This is what it is. Where Keanu gets a bad rap for being a bad actor is when he goes outside his lane. No yes, offense. Yes, I completely the- agree. Yeah, by Francis Ford Coppola attempting to make him do a British accent, shame on you. You know, when Kenneth Branagh had him, he just said, screw it, be an American. He didn't say, Keanu, you know, when you play John for much to do about nothing, you need to have a British accent. He's like, screw it. Your brother's black. Nobody's really going to care with the fact that you, because his brother was played by Denzel Washington. Nobody's really going to care with the fact that you're not portraying a British accent and there's enough Brits on set for it not to matter. And I think that like goes to it. When he's able to do that, Johnny Utah, I'm an FBI agent, the like, I was born with this curse, which is another quote from Constantine. It's perfect. When he's like also able to do the soft-spoken romantic hero and stuff like the lake house, just don't have him in a period adaptation. Don't ask him to do things that is not going to be in his wheelhouse. And I agree with you. Look, I think both the Duffer brothers and um, Chad and the guys behind John Wick need to put a little royalties towards Constantine because, I mean, the, the, the continental scene in John Wick is like when you would hand your friend your notes and says, okay, make it the same, but just like, like copy my work, but just don't make it look exactly the same. Absolutely. Like, that is exactly like that. If it wasn't for the scene with Tilda Swinton, that would absolutely be my favorite scene. And that is specifically such a ripoff of the entrance going into Papa Midnight's Club, literally almost down to the beats and the stylish music. It is hilarious. Yeah, there was so there were so many things that were like that, and I I totally feel 
I saw Blade in this. I saw other, like, there. you know how you look at a movie that has an android in it, and in the moment it starts bleeding white, you see Ridley Scott, like, you know that that's what they're going for. The moment you see, like, a a club that is dark from a low angle and people with fangs, you, you know what you're going to start seeing. I, the whole, it was a little bit brighter, I think, than, than Blade. But he did play, I think the nice thing that Francis Lawrence did is he played on tropes, but the production design was gorgeous. And you're absolutely right. I think somebody had the storyboards up from Constantine when they were doing John Wick. And also Keanu also knows what he's good at, which is why I think he's executive produced a lot of his films following this so that he can have a say. No, it's very clear I can't do an accent. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm sorry. This type of uh, fight is probably not good for me. On a horse with a sword, I can handle, you know? And I also think the other thing that I don't want to shy away from in this is the cinematography. Because there were certain things that happened in Constantine that looked amazing that are iconic, like Peter Stormare when, um, as the devil, after Constantine tells him, like, you know your son's in the other room, Gabriel, right? And he bursts through that glass, and that glass goes through slow motion. Now, yes, now we can all do that on our iPhones. But in 2005, we'd only seen really, really high overcrank shots like that in things like The Matrix. Um, when you see, same thing, every time you see that slow motion, you know, somebody's going to hell. Like when he has his feet in the water and the cat named duck on his lap (laughs) and she leaves the apartment. Um, Annabelle leaves the apartment. She doesn't get the door closed and that slow motion of her hair moving and slow motion getting out of the way. Um, I think that this is those those are iconic scenes from this movie. And those are also scenes that have been used since to tell similar stories. And and in a broader sense, I, I think this movie does well, not just because Keanu has a resurgence, but I think that if we release this movie today, I think that it does much better than it did initially, if for no other reason, because we were feeling a little bit of comic book movie fatigue back in 2005, because we'd never gotten that many comic book movies in one year before. Now we know that there's always another train coming. So to have a film like Constantine separate itself from the MCU and the DCU and all this continuity that's constantly going on and waiting for post-credit scenes and teasing the next movie, to just have an interesting standalone story like this, I think maybe it was just that the audience wasn't ready for this type of story. No, I agree too. I also think it's very interesting that, again, Constantine in a post-Deadpool world is a completely different movie. But in the same respect too, like these movies from this time period, 2003 to 2006, these were movies that were um, sort of um, conceived and pre-produced and given green lights completely in um, sort of retaliation or sort of like catching on the bandwagon of what Blade and X-Men had done. Um, We actually have a video on Rotten Tomatoes where we like break down the sort of like history of superheroes in relation to how it talks to Robert Pattinson's Batman. But in it, you kind of see that like, this was the time frame. You can tell by those movies that I mentioned, they did not know what they were doing. (laughs) <laughs> like, they did not know what they were doing. Like, you know, Daredevil and then Elektra and Batman Begins is like a totally different thing. Like, I think it's interesting 
of the movies of that year, the most successful one was Sin City, which was sort of an unknown um, entity that was you know, shot in Austin on a green screen. And that was like kind of the biggest hit. And the next biggest hit was the Fantastic Four, which was this bright, sort of colorful, very campy version of um, a superhero movie. And I think if we're really being honest, that's where audiences were at the time, because very shortly after this, we get Spider-Man. And Although Spider-Man gets darker later, those that first movie is very bright, very colorful. You know, it, it falls into that like we love superhero sort of superhero thing. Um, it's not as cynical as some of these other movies. So it's interesting to see what would happen now. I mean, again, for these like Johnny Come Lately, Fairweather fans, I, you know who you are. Um, is that I me? Think is that a shot of me? <laughs> I mean. No, uh, we made you yes. watch this for this show. But yes. you're not. Yes, you're it not, is. Three no, days I'm going to say it because, days old in this world. because he hadn't he hadn't watched uh, uh, Avatar either the last time I hung out with him. So no, I'm saying yes, yes. Uh, the hate is real. You are you being start, roasted at this moment. If you start going on Twitter and talking all about like your favorite scenes of Constantine and like shouting it from the rooftops, I might give you a little bit of side eye because like that's the people. I'm like, oh, you like like the girls that were not into Beyonce when she was part of Destiny's Child, but like all of a sudden are about her for On the Run. Yes. That's another Beyonce reference. Get ready for a lot of them on this podcast. <laughs> say all the new Queen fans. I, I, I'll say since Bohemian Rhapsody, everybody who suddenly acted like Queen was their favorite band ever. I'm like, how many Queen songs do you actually? It's a cool T-shirt you're wearing. How long have you owned it for? So yeah. people are coming late. So, but look, we welcome you. If you're new to Constantine, you can at least hang with me. And then we can all kind of get together and throw our premises. And then we'll run our social media love and adoration for this movie by Jacqueline and Karima, who are clearly <laughs> the experts. And one of the we things are the I gatekeepers. Doing, we are the gatekeepers. You well, can't come into Club Constantine until you can see the rat in the dress. Oh no! Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I, did anybody else get when you're watching this movie how you got to get into the club? The guy holds up the card, and you yes. got to say what's yeah. up. I was getting such beginning of Ghostbusters vibes yes. where Bill Murray's testing the dude. Oh <laughs> my god. But you know, you know what's really funny also about this film is that there are tropes in there for very specific fans. For instance, that holding up the card scene and even the way the characters relate to each other, there were certain things that were considered campy. And But I'm an anime fan. And for anybody who watches anime, Constantine and Annabelle's relationship is such an anime trope. It is such a regular anime trope where you have like the disinterested dude who is like really, you know, jaded and the ingenue, the pretty girl who comes to him for help. And there's all this sexual tension that's unresolved and there's a supernatural story. And there were so many shots in this, uh, not just dialogue, but shots that were actually in this uh, movie that reminded me of anime. Like when she first goes to visit him at his apartment. And he won't let her in until she shows the badge. And then she goes in and he's really like, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And then when she leaves and he sees all the demons that are sort of coming and wishing by the window and they do this pan around the apartment. And by the time you get to the door, you're just seeing him and his arm and his coat out that door. That is such an anime thing. Like going back and forth. He's always in a shirt that's kind of sort of open, but not all the way. Also anime um, those are anime tropes but i will just have to say the bones of them is noir 
That's like, true. And because anime borrows a lot from noir, especially mm-hmm. the tortured hero, the femme fatale, the um, the mystery within a world that we don't understand. Like these are all, um, and then in all honesty too, like although this one doesn't end that way, usually one of those two people suffers greatly for um, going on this sort of like adventure. In this case, however, because they were hoping to get a sequel, they don't kill Constantine, they kill uh, Chaz Kramer. And that's right. the person that suffers greatly from the machinations of others as they try to solve this mystery. But yes, I agree with you not to like put shade on anime, but I'm like, look, anime may be the skin, but bitch, the bones are noir. Noir, (laughs) noir, 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 all over. And I was like, I I was so torn because I didn't know what happened. Somehow I, I was able to avoid spoilers for this movie 15 years later. And so I did not know if John Constantine was going to pull through, if he was going to get to retire the way he wanted to, if he was going to go to hell for the rest and sacrifice himself. So watching all that stuff play out, I, I found it fascinating, some of the choices that they made. And Francis Lawrence come to this project, Karima, I was so interested to, to hear that Tarsem Singh was was an earlier choice because a lot of times we like to play revisionist history with movies. Like if we could go back and if Steven Spielberg was actually able to direct Return of the Jedi in 1983, I happen to think Richard Marquand with a heavy influence by George Lucas did a great job, but I'm still interested to see what that Steven Spielberg cut of Return of the Jedi would have been. Do we think Tarsem Singh could have brought something to, would Tarsem Singh have made a more hit movie? Would he have made a better movie? I loved what he did with The Fall. I think it would have been cinematically really interesting. I don't know whether or not we would have been able to follow the story because I'm thinking of where he was when he did the cell. So I basically think Constantine would probably have been at night hanging from his ceiling by by hooks or something from his <laughs> back. Mm-hmm. Like he would have used that imagery in that movie if he didn't get to use it in um, the cell. And and um, I think that Annabelle would have worn a corset. Like that's probably. <laughs> <laughs> These are the images that he we really with. likes corsets. I don't he disagree. Loves, he loves corsets. And I, here's the thing I love his imagery, but I think it took him a few movies to really tell a story properly because, as gorgeous as the cell was, which came out not long after, I, people to this day are like, I don't know what I'm, I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, but who cares? Just watch it on mute. I look. Tarsum gets uh, a great moment because he he sort of like to your point. He lives in cinematic folklore now. Like we can all picture what it would have been like to have Nicolas Cage as Superman even though that never came to be, but in our minds it was, you know, a best picture winner that won that had a billion dollars at the box office because that's what we're able to do. And so Tarsum's version of Constantine is that. However, I do think Again, anytime I'm on the wrong side of somebody in this, I really try so I don't get too snarky to envision like why critics had a problem. And let's be honest, some of the delivery is wooden. What's so interesting with the Rachel Weisz and, and, and Keanu Reeves chemistry is that it's really strange chemistry. Whenever they are not talking, like when he's leaning over to like grab her necklace or, you know, when, you know, he's holding her down in the bathtub, their chemistry is like electric. But the minute they start talking to each other, I'm like, do y'all even know who you are? Like, it's like when they, like, I watched them and I muted it and I was like, yeah, this is sexy. But the minute they start talking, like they're in separate movies, Rachel Weiss is in, is in a, a straight up noir and Keanu's trying to bring in all that comic book stuff and they just don't really ever gel. So I think that was a big part of the reason why people had a problem with it. I do well, think, think they're, but yeah. to that end, to that end, I think, well, first of all, Keanu 
he's got a delivery and that's it. (laughs) He's got, that's his delivery. So that wasn't going to change. But we were talking about accents earlier because she was struggling with hers. She, she was trying to talk in a, what I thought was supposed to be an LA accent, but it sort of ended up, she didn't quite get to LA. She got like halfway between New York and maybe Colorado and she got stuck. Like, I think she's she, straight up Midwest. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. She got like somewhere in there she, is where she stopped. And so I think her acting and her chemistry was stunted by that. Had they just let her use her natural accent, I think it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they wanted her to sound a little bit different. And I think that did hurt the chemistry there a little bit. The only thing that actually bothered me in this movie was the product placement. <laughs> I, didn't like, I didn't like when he got to the gas station and was about to attack, be attacked by that, uh, the, like the insect caterpillar demon, um, how he looked up and it said the end is near, but he was, it was the Chevy ad. Yeah. It was like, that's so clearly product placement. And then the other thing is, I didn't like at the end, I, sh- I felt, still feel, he should have kept smoking. But instead he popped well, out that was- a Nicorette. And I was like, but that's like a huge part of this movie. And one of the reasons why they were afraid of it, Lawrence talks about it on the, um, on the director's commentary, which I have for the DVD. That was the thing that they were adamant about. Like he has to have consequences to the smoking and they have to be catastrophic because they were very worried that again, it was a smoking ad. Yeah, It was a smoking ad. And so that's why they have the surgeon general's warning with the fire. And so that was actually like a huge I think not, just a focus for everyone involved to make right. sure they were not promoting right. smoking. Yeah, yeah they, they throw that Surgeon General's at you. I was actually going to ask you that real quick. Is is this the last movie that shows smoking is cool? Because he does look cool doing it, but we also see the negative long-term effects that smoking has on one's body. So was this the, <laughs> the farewell to smoking being cool in cinema? It's, I kind of feel in comic book type movies it was i think if they had to do it over again today they would probably let him smoke but then they'd let him vape and i like because uh. even when we watched shows <laughs> like even when we watched uh uh benedict cumberbatch's version of sherlock he was smoking but then what he did was he went from smoking to like being addicted to wearing nicotine patches like all over his body he had like 37 at a time he was just empty a box so and that came out later yeah. So I think it might have been the last time it was considered sexy. But yeah, that was something that a lot of people felt was, oh, that's not him in the comics. And that's also not something Constantine would do. I completely agree. But for the commercial purposes, and it was very clear when he had the gum, he took it out. He looks at it. He hold, like I was waiting for a Nicorette word to show up on the screen. <laughs> well, maybe I am the sucker because I did end up buying a Chevy Equinox right after I saw this movie. <laughs> um, I, I do want to bring in our producer, Lucy, real quick, because Lucy, there is some shade being thrown by Rachel Weiss's accent, and you're from Nebraska, so <laughs> what was Rachel doing in Midwestern? Did she hit Nebraska on her accent journey towards the West? She didn't. She did. I think I have a more northern Nebraskan accent. I people are always like, "You sound like you're from Minnesota." When you know, uh, I feel like she was a little bit more northern Midwest. So mm-hmm. kind of getting into the Dakotas, you know, it's, Minnesota. Because <laughs> I, I don't know. Specific accent. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh wait, she sounds like a cousin. I like it. It made me feel at home." 
Yeah, well, that, and all hey, the, that and all the Catholic imagery freaking me out. The demons yeah, I mean, and stuff. as a kid that went to Catholic school, <laughs> I, I clearly was had that. My, my family wasn't necessarily religious at all. I mean, we went to church mainly so we could go to Dunkin' Donuts afterwards. But <laughs> I did hit Catholic school for a number of years. And so maybe that's why I'm attracted to movies like this, because it does touch on that lore. And I find that mythology very yeah. interesting. And I found this conversation fascinating because Karen and Jacqueline, you all both clearly have love for this movie. You clearly agree that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong and that it's a fresh movie. And I will align myself with you to that end that I think this movie deserves to be fresh. I'm not going to say it deserves to be up in the 90 percentile or anything, but I do think that upon further review, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about Constantine. So, Karima, I had such a great time talking with you today. In a, in a perfect world, eventually, we can hang out in person and argue the merits of Constantine. But right now, due to the state of the world, we're in this little technological old boy state where I only see you in your little <laughs> podcast room. You only see me in my podcast office. Exactly, exactly. You got so much stuff happening right now that you're working on. Uh, where are some of the other places that all of our listeners can come check you out? Um, I'm not quite sure when this drops, but by the time it does, uh, I will, uh, have been a part of DC fandom. I'm going to have an interview with the creators of the new Nubia comic that's coming out. Um, really excited about that. You can always find me on social media at the blur girl, T H E B L E R G G U R L. I have another season of the blur girl live coming up on Twitch that will be out soon. And you know, I'm still running around watching Lovecraft, <laughs> yelling and screaming on Sunday nights like everybody else. <laughs> I am really digging Lovecraft right now. We, we got to do some show. I think Rotten Tomatoes is getting Lovecraft right, in my personal opinion. <laughs> but at some point, if nothing else, we don't even need to hit record. The three of us can get together and talk about Lovecraft. Uh, Jacqueline, where can all the, uh, the kids out there find you? Yeah, you guys can find me at that Jacqueline on all forms of social media. Eventually, I will get uh, Mark to join me on TikTok. And uh, you can read my stuff about awards and independent film on RottenTomatoes.com. Yeah, hey, I got I'm my on, first TikTok I'm in the can. TikTok? Oh my gosh. Are you on TikTok now, Mark? Yes. Um, oh, I, have, uh, I have some footage that I've shot with me and my lovely stepdaughter, Molly the Wonder Dog. So we'll see if I can get her agents to agree to let me put her on TikTok. It's a long negotiation process, but I will keep y'all posted. In the meantime, for the great Caramel Horn, and the amazing Jacqueline Coley, our producer Lucy, our entire tech team, Tim Ryan giving us the lowdown on the tomato meter. I am nearly Mark Ellis, and we'll talk to y'all next week on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, a podcast from Rotten Tomatoes. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.